Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is our special bonus episode all about Filoli Historic House and Garden, our venue for the 2020 Slow Flowers Summit. Today I'm bringing you a special edition of the Slow Flowers Podcast. We're airing this segment on Monday, December 2nd, 2019, the day we open up early bird ticket sales for the fourth annual Slow Flowers Summit. We have an incredible and inspiring lineup of speakers to introduce you to in the coming months. But first, to entice you further, I want to start with our venue, Filoli. For 2020, the summit returns to the West Coast with a strategic partnership with Filoli Historic House and Garden in Woodside, California, outside of San Francisco. We're so excited for the opportunity to immerse ourselves in the beauty and legacy of this Bay Area cultural institution. Summit attendees, speakers, sponsors, and guests will spend two full days experiencing the historic residence, as well as Filoli's legendary landscape and cutting gardens. We will also have unprecedented access to design a floral takeover in the house, California's most triumphant example of Georgian revival architecture, and one of the finest remaining country estates of the early 20th century. You can find all the details in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com for our bonus episode found posted on December 2nd, 2019. You can also visit slowflowerssummit.com for our full program and speaker details. And starting today, take advantage of our early bird ticket promotion now through December 31st. Your all-inclusive two-and-a-half-day summit experience is affordably priced at $599, including refreshments, meals, and evening receptions. Slow Flowers members receive discounted pricing of $549. The early bird tickets are available to you for $100 off at each level. So this month only, Slow Flowers members will pay $449 and general registrants will pay $499. If you're not a Slow Flowers member, this means you can take advantage of joining Slow Flowers for as little as $50 annually and take advantage of member pricing. You'll still save $50. I'm thrilled today to introduce two Filoli voices to share more about what you can expect at this amazing venue. First, please meet Kara Newport, Executive Director. My visit with Kara will be followed by a conversation with Emily Sager, lead horticulturist and the go-to cut flower expert at Filoli. First up, please meet Kara Newport. Kara became the Executive Director of Filoli Center in August of 2016. Previously, she served as Executive Director for Daniel Stowe Botanical Garden, a developing public garden, from 2006 to August 16. Before serving in this capacity, Kara's career was focused on fundraising at organizations including Winterthur, the Philadelphia Zoo, and Outward Bound. Kara has a BS in botany and a graduate degree from the Longwood program. Please welcome Kara Newport. So excited today to have on the line a very special guest. Please uh, welcome Kara Newport, Executive Director of Filoli. Hi, Kara. Hi. Thanks for jumping on the line with me today. Absolutely. Uh, we are so grateful to be uh, bringing the Soulflower Summit to Filoli. It is such a very special, magical place in the Bay Area. I've visited many times, and um, it's, it's 
beautiful in every season. So I don't know if that there's a favorite, but because it's awe-inspiring even in winter. But uh, I'm delighted that we'll be visiting for two days, June 28th and 29th of 2020. I'm so excited that uh, we'll be able to bring the summit to this beautiful estate property and um, really experience kind of a moment in time. It's a really special place. So thank you, Kara, for for working this out and inviting us and um, saying yes. It's just all, it's all exciting. Uh, But I want people to hear from you about Filoli and a little bit about the history. First of all, Filoli is an acronym, right? It is. It is. You know, at some point, well, first of all, let me say how excited we are to host you. This is a a really great partnership for us and for a whole host of reasons that I'll share with you, but we are really excited to have you come in June. And, um, and we think tickets are going to sell out fast. So (laughs) hopefully people snatch them up early. Um, But uh, Philoli, so it is an acronym and it was the, uh, the credo of William Bowers Bourne, the founder of Philoli. And it actually was kind of a, a hidden hidden story for many years, um, even even when he built the property. And then someone found a reference, but it uh, it was the credo of fight for a just cause, love your fellow man, and live a good life mm. by Lowly, mm. which we think is so wonderful and relevant today. Mm. And and it's what we all aspire to, and um, and we use it all the time, and we mm. think about it, which is really great to have that that over 100 year old history still alive and relevant here. Wow! Yeah, I mean, it's it's a mission statement more than anything else about what really what it is. Yeah, what you're achieving. We we are a national trust site. We're associated okay. with the National Trust for Historic Preservation. We're okay. one of their 27 sites um, that they own. So they actually own the property. But Filoli Center is a nonprofit, and we separately um, operate it. And we actually own the vast majority of the land holdings, mm. but they own the house and the formal garden. So it's a it's a great partnership. But you know, it's it's uh, it's a partnership that allows us a lot of latitude and flexibility with what we do, but then has preservation behind us so mm-hmm. that we, um, we we have that resource for great preservation and great national standards and, and things like that. So when people come to visit Filoli, which is just really close to all the major airports in the Bay Area, I mean, I think the, your location is like, I hate to say you're in the heart of Silicon Valley because you were there before Silicon Valley, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but just to, just to put you on the map, I mean, what, what is the experience? Like what, what do you, how do people move through the property and what, what do you, um, how do you like to recommend people experience Filoli when they visit? <laughs> It's a, it's a great question. We've actually been um, looking at some information about the facts of it, mm. of what, what people really do. And we know that most of the people come for the garden. We're better known as a public garden um, than we are as a historic house. Um, but we really look at it in in three areas. We have um, the, the house, of course, the historic house, which is a 54,000 square foot house. And the entire first floor is open for a self-guided tour. And uh, and we feature flower arrangements, which we can talk more about. Right. Um, and then we have the formal gardens, which is 16 acres of formal gardens. And then we have the outer areas and, and really the the rest of the estate, which includes um, acres of orchards. Um, we have an old uh, barn farm area and we have tra- walking trails. Mm. So, you know, we really see that happening in kind of three different ways. And, and what we hope is that people come and do it all the 
all different ways. You know that you could go to the house first, you can go to the garden first, you can go for a hike. Um, there are all different ways to experience it. We have um, orchard hikes and uh, and different specialty hikes, mushroom hikes in the winter, things like that um, that you can do. You know, at, at any time. And of course, now we have a holiday program um, going on right now. So every season we try to have something special or interesting, special exhibitions, um, things like that. But at the heart of it, um, one of the things I like to share with people about Filoli is that we are uh, a 100-year-old working estate. And um, and that's unusual that it's been in continue, continual operation for that amount mm-hmm. of time. So the Bournes built the estate. Um, the Ross family purchased the estate fully um, furnished. The house was fully furnished. They purchased everything. Um, both of the Bournes died in the 30s. The Ross purchased that, the home in the 30s. And um, and Mrs. Ross uh, focused a lot more of her effort on the garden, um, on garden development and adding things like our wonderful camellia collection um, and really enhancing our, our cut flower garden. Mm. And um, and I think one of the wonderful legacies that we have is, you know, so we've, we've had a production estate, I was saying, um, we we have apples and pears and grapes and and those kinds of things and we sell our own apple butter and apple cider um, and and things like that. But we also, of course, have cut flowers mm-hmm. and, and that's something that we've produced for the entire 100 year history of the estate. Um, both Agnes Bourne and Laureen Roth were avid flower arrangers and um, in the original design of the house is a flower arranging room. Wow. Um, that's, that's part of the original design. It was part of its purpose and it has been used as a flower arranging room for 100 years, over 100 years now. And Amazing. and I think that kind of legacy with flowers and flower arranging and, and other products as well is, is really important and I think that's why it connects with the, the efforts that you're doing to, you know, really bring this this culture um, to the public so that everybody can think about this. I think that's really wonderful, and that's what we try to do as well. So it's it's such a great um, opportunity to have your audience come to Filoli to see what we've been doing for 100 years here. Yeah, I think it's so special because in, in the last maybe 10, perhaps 15 years, there has been this... Um, you know, renaissance of cut flower growing and sustainable practices in floral design and kind of bringing back what we, we all think like we've just invented this, right? We've just discovered this. But then you come to a place like Filoli and you realize, oh, no, we're just we're just returning to this, uh, this as you said, culture that uh, was uh, part of this estate a hundred years ago and um, how cool to to see it maybe in a modern lens with some of that paying homage to what the uh, original uh, owners uh, did in their daily lives and arranging growing and arranging flowers it's I just love that full circle mm-hmm. me, me too and and I think you know we're seeing a, a renaissance of this at Philoli too we've always taught um floral, uh, flower arranging classes, mm-hmm. and floral design classes. And, um, yeah, we have a, a class that we offer in the summer that's wine and design, you know, kind of like the sip and paint classes. <laughs> Perfect. <right? laughs> 
floral design and they're so popular they sell out every time and 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 we just love it that there's a there's a whole new generation that's appreciating the art of it the beauty of it the you know the uh, ability to connect to nature in a different way um to bring it you know the outside in and and have that people don't have um as many outdoor opportunities or they don't take, you know, don't always think to take advantage of them. So this is another way to get you out into your garden and, you know, and, and pull in some, you know, even just wildflowers yeah. and, and, and make that, you know, make that part of the beauty of your everyday life, which I think is just so wonderful. Well, you have, um, your mission is, uh, in, in large part education and you have a very robust, as I understand it, very robust membership that must be incredibly diverse and reaching every generation. Um, it's, it's perhaps because you're so close to a dense urban area that, you know, this, this unique opportunity to get out in nature is just 30 minutes from the city. It's, it must attract a lot of people, uh, year round. It definitely does, and and more and more. And in the past couple of years, we've made it our goal to be more open and available. We've extended our hours, and um, and you know, we're now doing this holiday program in the winter, and just just finding ways to um, to bring people and connect with people. And we've seen um, a, a real surge in young families with children, and um, you know, diverse audiences coming in from all over. We have over two hundred thousand visitors a year, wow. and we have. Uh, 11,000 members um, that are Mm. part of our membership group. So it's, you know, it's, it's becoming, you know, a a real destination for the region, which we really love. Like you say, we're, we, we see as many guests coming from San Jose to San Francisco and even Santa Cruz and beyond East Bay. Um, People come from a really broad region as, um, as a destination here. And, and we just love that, that this story can stay relevant to um, modern audiences. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, I also know that it's a tourism destination. I mean, this is a on people's lists when they come to San Francisco. So you're you must have visitors from all around the world. We do, we do, absolutely, and and that's and that's increasing as well. Um, we we just had a partnership with Air China um, with our orchid show that we do in the winter. So, wow! Um, oh my so goodness! You know, yeah, yeah. So that's really great, and and I think that um, and and again, attracting different audiences. So you know, all of that's really important to us, and and I think you know, kind of bringing that back to the flower culture. W- one thing that we do. So on an on an average day. Um, and, and Emily and our staff can share more details on this, but on an average day, we'll have um, 15 plus arrangements in the house that come from our garden. And um, but they might be a new take on things. And so we have our volunteer flower arrangers that come in, um, and we might do uh, you know some different kinds of arrangements, some um, some throwbacks, some ikebana. You mm. know, we we look mm-hmm. at all different kinds of arranging, not necessarily just the traditional arrangements that they would have had in the house. So it allows us to infuse um, new creative ideas, I think, into this historic home and keep it really alive and fresh. We feel like we have a flower show every week in the house. <laughs> that's a, um, yeah, that's a really good point. It's not like this museum piece that is, you know, preserved, you know, in, you know, petrified wood. I mean, it's something that's ever changing. And I'm sure in response to, uh, the personalities of your volunteer floral arrangers, and and also in response to place, like what is growing at Filoli, and how exactly. can, how yeah. can that be part of uh, a unique uh, arrangement in a vase? Right, 
Right. Wow. And, and I, and I think from, you know, from thinking about our, our volunteer rangers and, and even the public also reacting to the changing culture. You know, we, when we think about the two families that live here, we don't tell that story in a stagnant way either because their tastes changed over time. And, and one of my favorite stories about, um, about Mrs. Ross, who was the last, um, woman of the house, mm-hmm. um, she really loved mid-century modern. So she had this whole, like, you know, fresh new flair in some of the things that she did. And you especially saw it during holidays or parties. So, um, she worked with Tony Duquette, who's a very oh, well-known, yes party planner and did these amazing over the top parties for her. And they had some really modern edgy things going on. And, and so what we like to think is that, you know, if, if there were a a new owner of the house, they would be doing what we're doing. They'd Mm -hmm. be thinking of new things. They wouldn't be stuck in time. Um, We want the house to have a natural evolution as well, while still honoring those past um, historic elements. And, And one of the ways you can do that is with, floral flower arranging yeah. and, and having different floral displays. Wow, that that just gets me even more excited because when we first connected with uh, Emily and the horticulture staff um, at Filoli to talk about the possibilities of bringing the Slothar Summit to your estate, she's the one who said we should do a flower takeover of the house. And like my mind was spinning as soon as I heard those words. But what does that really mean? On what scale? How many rooms are on that first floor? You said there's like a, typically 15 arrangements at any given time in the, right. in the house? Right, or more, or wow. more. Yeah, I mean, I think 15 is a low number. Mm. So, And they range from, you know, small arrangements that are in the bathrooms to um, the giant arrangement that's in the ballroom. Mm-hmm. So there's a range of sizes and scopes. And, and that's one of the skills that our arrangers have to have is that they have to have the ability to do these very large arrangements and not every homeowner can do that. So, um, so thinking about, you know, what will hold up in a big arrangement and, um, and how can we integrate the, the greenery and, and other things in a unique way, because you can't do it all with just flowers. Right. So it's not flowers. It's, it's everything that we have here that's by Lily and they get really creative, which is really great. So yeah, I think the takeover, we love the takeover idea. We're so excited about that because again, it's, it's a new way of thinking about things and um, I'm sure we'll get some new ideas from it. Oh, our our uh, instructors are all so excited with the possibility because it's sort of like giving them unlimited art supplies in, you know, this three-dimensional space. And you can only imagine uh, what that means. And the only thing that's going to be the problem is the time limit, you know, because it's... It can... <laughs> but I'm, right. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like, I love your vision also that once this is is done at you know after the day of installation then it becomes something that um the visitors to Filoli will have a chance to see and maybe learn a little bit more about where our flowers are grown and you know the fact that there is this opportunity to lend your garden with floristry and um uh, that seems to be kind of everything that happens at Filoli is for the public to enjoy and learn from and i i really appreciate that Absolutely. And even thinking about 
um, when when your group comes in and does the, the takeover for that week. Um, we'll probably do it when we're open um, mm-hmm. so that the public can even see it happening. They love that, you know, that that home demonstration. I think I think that there's this whole concept that if you don't see it happening, it isn't real. <laughs> right. And so there's something that makes it more real by seeing it happening. And even if that doesn't happen, we can, you know, we can have it on social media so that people can see how that this takes place. Absolutely. And, and I think that that really brings that reality home um, from the from the picking the flowers to you know the prep picking, prepping, and the display. It's all part of the our, part of our weekly process. I know. I mean, that's what I'm also very excited about is the attendees of the to the Slow Flower Summit um, are in a way are they're going to get a chance to peel back the curtain on a large uh, you know public trust estate garden and see the inner workings of. Um, how the cutting garden works and how the orchard works and how the greenhouses work and, you know, what happens in that house. And I think you're going to give us as much as we're going to try to return to you. And I'm, I know our attendees are going to be just jazzed about the experience. Um, Maybe we'll get you to come in and do some floral arranging with us, Kara. Oh, I would love it. I'd love it. <laughs> that would be great. I'm, 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 I'm no expert by any means, but you know, who doesn't love it? It's yeah. just such a fun thing to do. Well, before we go, I just, I'm just curious about your path personally. I know that you've worked um, in uh, management of public gardens in many other uh, or a few other uh, places by reading your bio. Like, What drew you to this, this path of uh, wanting to uh, have your career in uh, horticulture and public gardens and um, sharing it with the public or, you know, with people who love gardens, too? Yeah, so I um, in in the beginning I was a botanist, um, so I have a, a really hard science background. Mm, wow, science side of plants, mm-hmm. and um, and and then from there I really decided that you know I, I could have pursued a, a a PhD in botany, which I thought very seriously about, but I really wanted to be more involved with the people mm-hmm, side of it. Mm-hmm. So I received a master's degree from the Longwood Graduate Program. So having um, and then my first job out after that program was at Winterthur. So mm. two amazing estates in, in um, the Philadelphia area that have this, both having this historic garden component to it. Right. And, um, and that really was formative to me and really resonated with me. And then I kind of went off and did um, some fundraising for a few years for some institutions in Philadelphia, like the zoo and um, the science museum, and then came back to be a director of public garden in um, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was there for 10 years. And during that time I was on the national board of the public gardens association. So had a wonderful opportunity to really engage, with lots of different gardens and um and when this opportunity came up to to come to Filoli, I'd been to Filoli several times in my career, and um, and I, you know, this was just everything. It was, wow. you know, it's a, it's a beautiful home, it's a beautiful estate, it's a historic garden, it's an amazing public garden, and so well um, taken care of, so well tended, and um, and really really high quality standards, and it was just um, such a such a great opportunity and and such a beautiful area. So I I jumped at it. <laughs> and have been thrilled ever since. I mean, it's it's been it's been a really charmed journey. Um, having come out here from Charlotte and um, and moving to the area and and all of that and learning learning a new plant palette, which has been so much right, fun. Of course, right. here at, here at Filoli, we have quite a few of my East Coast friends <laughs> around in the plant palette. Right. So, um, so I right. have a little. 
you know, corner here where I know everything. <laughs> so that's helpful. <laughs> the, well, the big Southern magnolia outside of my window is uh, an example of, you know, a familiar plant. But, um, but you know, I had this opportunity to learn about a new um, new ecosystem and yeah. environment and, um, you know, le- learn different things is also wonderful. That's neat. And I do think that I love hearing about your, your journey because I also feel like uh, what you're doing uh, at Filoli in some ways is, is pioneering and kind of progressive in the public garden arena. And a lot of public gardens are kind of having a little bit of a, um, a refresh button, trying to become more engaged with their communities. And so it's, it's exciting to see the examples at Filoli are probably being emulated um, you know, elsewhere in the country. And uh, you brought things with you and, and sh- now you're sharing them and paying it for with other institutions. So um, I'm a big lover of public gardens and that this is, was just yeah. a beautiful opportunity to um, combine floriculture, horticulture, and agriculture, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. under one event. So I'm delighted that, that we'll see you in, in, in June. Uh, I hopefully I'll, I'll get to meet you before that because I expect I'll have to, I must come down from Seattle and do some. Yeah, you, you, must. <laughs> you must come and visit yeah. and plan for this wonderful conference. Right. I, you know, it's, a, it's a, like a little retreat. So oh, I my gosh. Everyone can come and enjoy it. Great. Kara, thank you so much for, for your generosity, uh, for just giving us a little sneak peek of what people can expect at Filoli. Uh, we're going to launch our early bird ticket sales for the Soulflower Summit today. So we'll have links to uh, all of your social places. And it is December, and this holiday uh, sh- uh, programming is going on the entire month of December at Filoli. So if people happen to be in the Bay Area, they can take advantage of that. Um, we'll sure to share those details, too, in our show notes. Sounds great. Well, thank you. We're looking so forward to hosting you. Thanks so much. Our next guest is Emily Sager. As you will hear in our conversation, Emily was the instigator behind Filoli's invitation to me to bring the Slow Flower Summit to the Bay Area. We wanted to return to the West Coast, and little do we know that she was working her influence and stirring up enthusiasm with Filoli's leadership behind the scenes. Here's more about Emily. Emily's eight years of horticultural experience blend production agriculture, landscape maintenance, garden, and floral design. She has worked for several notable Bay Area farms, including Fifth Crow Farm, Bluma Farm, and Hidden Villa. And as lead horticulturist at Filoli, she looks after the rose garden, the cutting garden, and the orchard. Her design aesthetic is a blending of her work experience, foraged and cultivated, wild and formal, always designed with seasonality and senescence in mind. A strong believer in the healing powers of nature, through her gardens and floral design, Emily hopes to facilitate this connection for all. Okay, let's jump right in. Well, I am entirely thrilled today to introduce Emily Sager of Filoli as my bonus guest as we're talking about the Slow Flower Summit for 2020. Hi, Emily. Hi, Deborah. Thanks. Great to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. I, I'm so appreciative of your role in helping bring the Slow Flower Summit to the Bay Area, to this amazing place called Filoli. And uh, you're kind of the instigator behind this. So tell us about what your role is at Filoli, and then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, our big plans. 
Yeah, well, um, I am the one of the lead horticulturalists at Filoli. There's um, the garden is divided up into five areas, so there are five different leads. Um, but I'm the lead in the panel gardens, which is an area of the garden that includes our cutting garden, um, a rose garden, our smaller orchard, um, and a couple other things like the knot garden. Mm, mm. Um, mm-hmm. It's beautiful. You toured uh, Karen uh, Thornton and me through that um, in October, and I've visited it in the past. But I have to say, um, you know, it's some of the visits I've had were, you know, more than 10 years ago. The cutting garden is really at, it's just fully developed now. I mean, it's, it's several sections and, um, you know, I don't know how that's evolved and what your role has been in that, but can you describe like what, what the size and scale is? Yeah. So the cutting garden is an area of the garden, um, that I want to say is maybe about a quarter of an acre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, includes the historic cutting cages, which have been around for a long time because flowers have always been an important part of this property, um, especially for the Roth era. Um, Mm. Mrs. Roth loved flowers. So it's always been part of this house and garden. And um, when I started here at Filoli, I was actually hired on in the greenhouses and eventually a position opened up that was a, a cross between propagation and cutting garden management and then the cutting garden got reintegrated into the panel garden mm. um, when I took the lead position there and since my background has really been in cut flower production I have put um, a much stronger focus in that area than I think it's had in a while. Mm-hmm. Well you're also in this amazing um, climate where you can grow almost year round. So yeah, like how, how do the seasons evolve um, in this? Well, we saw the end of kind of the dahlias were still looking great at the end of October. And um, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty happy. Everyone was pretty happy there. <laughs> we do. We have a great climate here. We are, we, we sort of have a unique microclimate for the Bay area in that um, because of the little Valley that we're in near the crystal Springs Reservoir, we actually get surprisingly cold um, in the wintertime, in the evenings and early mornings. So we are able to grow things here that other parts of the bay can't necessarily grow. Sort of the immediate bay, um, flower growers in sort of the north and then further south can grow things like peonies, um, but not many folks right in the bay can, and Mm. we actually can. So we have a kind of a cool and widespread selection of stuff that we can do. Um, And we're trying to, since I've been in this position, I'm trying to kind of extend our season even more um, because we do buy in some flowers in the wintertime for our holiday display. But I would really uh, love for the cutting garden to provide as much as it can for our floral arrangers and floral design program year round. Mm, that's wonderful. And I wanted to go back to a term you use, floral cages or something like that. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So our flower cages are, they're kind of a unique thing. Um, they're these huge structures that have about, one of them has, I think, 10 beds in it. Um, and what they were was they provided bird protection mm. and rabbit protection <laughs> in the early days. And so they still sort of function in that way, although because we have public coming in and out of the cages, um, looking at flowers and such, we definitely birds get in. Just the problem yeah. that everybody and, has, right? <laughs> the problem that everyone has, yeah. But they do, the other 
cool thing that they provide is they provide a climbing space. Mm. So we're able to have vining things um, like sweet peas. Or this year we had a really cool vine that was brand new for us called the snail vine. Yes, I remember um, which taking is also a, f- a pea. Oh, yeah. is it a pea? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's and it's it's gorgeous. It was a showstopper. People were really interested in it, so that was cool. Mm, very cool. And yeah, those those there's almost like this netting that covers this box that that sets rests on top mm-hmm. of the of the beds, and so you've got that vertical space for vines. I love that. Created like a right. wall, almost like a wall down this uh, central it does. path. It creates kind of a wall down the pathway. Yeah. So it also adds sort of vertical interest to the garden. I think Philoli is kind of a unique space in that um, the cutting garden is a production garden for us because we have a volunteer flower arranging program and they do weekly um, floral arrangements in the house, just like they would have done back in the day when it was a private estate. Mm. Um, But we're also an educational space. So people are walking through, um, learning about flowers. And then we're also, you know, a, a formal garden setting. So we try to be maybe a bit more aesthetic than a, a farm production space would. Mm-hmm. So the cages kind of play into that a little bit too. I think that's so awesome because I feel like that's one of the um, themes of the Slow Flower Summit is obviously we're all interested in growing flowers, but it, we're all very design focused and in our mm-hmm. curiosity. So you're going to create this, you, you have this setting that's going to invite people in to talk about palette and and form and the role each element plays in design as well as how it's grown. So it's, it's a wonderful marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You mentioned the um, floral arranging program with volunteers. Like, how does that work? Because mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like that is a big part of your weekly activity is interacting with like people who are coming in to design in the, in the historic house. Yeah. So our, our floral arranging program is a pretty um, neat thing. We have probably around, I think I want to say 60 volunteers. Um, I'd have to double check yeah, that number wow. but somewhere around there. And it's it's a combined program, actually, now. It includes folks doing the arrangements in the house and gardens, um, as well as the folks who are part of our floral design program. We used to have a certificate program here. It's now sort of shorter courses. But um, so the, the floral arranging committee is a combination of those two. Mm. And people come out and cut every week. Um, they harvest their own flowers, uh, and then they process them and do pretty large arrangements in um, most of the rooms of the house here. Yeah. The historic house. There, it, yeah. It, your, your collection of urns and very large vessels is a little mind-boggling <laughs> with the it scale. It is mind-boggling, <laughs> yeah. There's, well, some, there's some really cool and very, very large urns. So I try and grow things with very long them if I can. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, I'm so excited to hear about this. I, I did get to come and teach at Philoli uh, probably about five or six years ago when you had the floral design certificate program. And even then I remember oh. um, being, you know, taken on a tour to see these weekly uh, floral displays inside the mansion. It's basically, like it's called a historic house, but it's basically a mansion, right? I mean, it's mm. how many yeah. rooms? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, how many, I'm not exactly sure. It's definitely, there's a a ballroom though, I guess, to give folks a sense who haven't been here. It is 
it's quite large and grandiose. Well, I yeah. love it. Um, and that's interesting that you're um, al- allowing the volunteers to come in and cut. So people have maybe some initial training if they're on that volunteer committee so that they know the proper, the proper things mm-hmm. to do, right? Yeah, the volunteers, they, they, some of folks have been, I mean, at Filoli, we have a really long history of volunteers, um, and many of our volunteers are extremely dedicated and have been mm. uh, serving for more, some folks more than 20 years. So there's a lot of knowledge among volunteers, and they're an extremely valuable part of the garden operations. Um, That's cool. We, we love what they do. And in the floral committee, um, folks get trained by some of the longer Standing volunteers. I've also started this past year. I did a short training with folks, um, with everyone, just to get people online about best cutting practices, because that can be a challenge to open up the gardens to anyone to cut. I mean, not anyone to cut, but having volunteers mm-hmm. cut, it can be a challenge, um, and it, it's tricky for us to keep on top of deadheading because we can't use all of the material that we grow, um, and because it is part partly ornamental and educational we have to leave some for visitors to enjoy as well oh that's a really good point you can't balance yeah Yeah. you can't clear cut the dahlias you've got to have the dahlia beds looking pretty so um in addition to uh, the cutting garden um i remember when i was uh did my workshop at filoli that the horticulture staff uh offered to glean or or harvest i don't or forage i'm not sure the right the right term is but cut all the greens for for us to use and and Mm -hmm. The acreage is vast, so I suppose that also happens still, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There is a woman here, Lisa, who is on our greenhouse, um, one of our greenhouse horticulturalists, and she is um, really sort of the queen of foliage, I like to think. (laughs) She goes around and harvests um, just bucket loads of beautiful greenery from our perennial beds and even sort of the outlying property Mm. uh, for the flower rangers to use each week. And she, I mean, she's worked here for 20, about 20 years or maybe even slightly over. So she really knows her plant material and knows uh, the seasonality of foliage Mm. and when things are on. So that's really exciting. Yeah. It also just feels more like place to have, um, Mm -hmm. you know, naturally harvested Greens from the landscape versus cultivated production greens from you right. know, a farm. To- yeah. yeah, totally. That's- and I think it adds a pretty unique element because there's a lot of plants here that aren't necessarily grown in production-wise so that you might not be able to just buy anywhere, mm-hmm. um, but that we have as part of the formal gardens yeah. or sort of peripheral gardens. So yeah. that's really cool. I, I love that. I mean, the landscapes are so beautiful. And when people come to the Silflower Summit at Filoli, we're trying to build in time for tours and for strolling and for kind of just oh, being yeah. in the landscape as well as, you know, in the, you know, in the historic house and in the, the regular meeting space. But it's, oh, yeah. it's going to be beautiful. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, Emily, I, first of all, I'm so thrilled that you're going to be one of the presenters um, on our special panel at the summit, which is, I guess I'm calling sustainable farming X floral design. Uh, um, and I think that you're well suited for that because of your own background. Could you just talk about your path to flowers and what led you to this place in your professional life? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I just want to start off by saying how excited I am to be a part of this. I, I'm, I feel super honored. There's so many um, amazing growers 
uh, especially in the Bay Area. So I'm just really honored to be a part of the Slow Flower Summit. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very exciting moment for me. <laughs> um, but I kind of came into flowers really through agriculture. I was working in um, production agriculture, growing vegetables and flowers for a CSA. I think the first place that really tipped off my love for flowers um, was Hidden Villa, which is a farm actually here on the peninsula as well. It's an educational farm, mm. but they do have a, a production CSA also. Um, and that sort of just working with flowers, um, it's, I, th- I think it's one of the most unique combinations of horticulture and gardening and production and some of maybe like the tediousness of gardening, which I weirdly like, um, but also integrating design and this wildness. Um, and it's just a unique thing to be able to grow product and then to create something from it, there's there's really nothing like there's really nothing like growing flowers. Yeah, that's a really good point. Them. I mean, I guess the only corollary is if you're really a foodie and you are able to yeah prepare a meal with something you've grown yourself. Right. Yeah, it's right. It is absolutely a, yeah, like a chef mm-hmm. working with the finest ingredients or mm-hmm. growing their own ingredients. So um, yeah, so you have you've had a number of of experiences with. I would say smaller scale cut flower farms uh, or yeah. flower operations. Yeah, actually, even, yeah. even larger scale uh, flower operations. I was at um, Fifth Crow Farm is where I learned a ton um, about flower production because they're a pretty pretty large farm. They also run a vegetable CSA, grow really high quality produce um, and distribute at farmers markets and restaurants around the Bay Area. They had about, I want to, three to four acres of cut flower production. Oh, yeah, that's big. So pretty, pretty big, um, and we stayed very, very busy uh, making mixed bouquets and things for farmer's markets and gro- specialty groceries in San Francisco. So I learned a ton there um, and then moved on to Bluma Farm, mm-hmm. uh, which is now located in Berkeley as an urban farm. Yep. Um, and super specialized niche uh, flower production. We were still doing farmer's markets when I was there, which was great at the Ferry Plaza. Tons of fun right. interacting with customers. Um, but Joanna Letts, who's the, the farm owner there, she was really interested in cultivating relationships directly with designers. Um, so I learned a lot about what people were interested in using and even a little bit about design, kind of just seeing what people were doing with the things that we were growing. Yeah. I'm sure that's influenced your own aesthetic as a designer, just Mm -hmm. because you're more familiar with the, you know, botanicals than, than a lot of florists who are buying direct from farmers uh, might be. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's cool to see your journey uh, through the various chapters of horticulture and, and see where you've landed at this amazing cultural institution where you do have a role as an educator, but also uh, kind of shaping the floral palette of Filoli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel, I feel really lucky. Um, I, the position of uh, getting to manage the cutting garden here is kind of a dream. I mean, maybe having my own space one day would be a dream, but for now, this is an amazing opportunity. Um, I feel very fortunate that Jim Salyards, the director of horticulture, gives me a lot of leeway to um, choose what flowers we're growing um, and to have a heavy hand in our seed ordering. So that's been really fun and really great. And it's really fun to work with 
volunteers and have them be the end product. Mm. It's also kind of nice to be like a little bit of a break from full production mode because I don't have to worry about financials and the budgets um, in the same sense that I would if I was farming. I can experiment <laughs> a little more. Right. Yeah. You can do trials. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, if I had a, a, a vision or wish for Philoli's Gardens, I think it would be um, to use this space even more experimentally so that maybe we could be a resource for other growers because mm. we have the ability to explore a little more. Mm. Ooh, I like that idea. We should talk about yeah. that sometime to do, I don't know, like almost do trial uh, uh, programs where you can e experiment with new varieties that maybe haven't made yeah. the, gotten into the that commercial. That haven't made it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm, love definitely. It. And I think the other neat thing we can do, like you mentioned in the course that you taught is um, potentially offering materials to visiting designers to use in their coursework. Mm, mm -hmm. um, so we had a chance to do that this past year with Francoise Weeks came and taught a workshop and I harvested a bunch of material for her mm. from the garden. Mm. Um, wow. And that just really fit with her aesthetic. Oh, absolutely. Well, our, our design uh, instructors and speakers at the Slowflower Summit are also going to benefit from your expertise mm -hmm. in that realm. We're not going to clear cut Philoli, but we are going to um, make <laughs> yeah. sure that Philoli is well represented through the designers, uh, including Susan McCleary and uh, Pilar Zuniga and um, the, the panelists that you'll be joined uh, with, um, you'll be joined by Molly Culver and Kelly Matsushita Singh, and the three of you will have a chance to show how growing flowers has informed your aesthetic as a, I guess, farmer florist, for lack of a better term. So I'm yeah. thrilled. Yeah, I'm thrilled about that. And the design takeovers, I'm thrilled. I think it's really it's just a great fit. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about the design takeover um, in future weeks. But basically, I have, I'm have i suspecting that you're behind that idea, Emily. And can you oh, talk? Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I mean, <laughs> you're like this quiet instigator, and you've made this whole thing happen. Uh, can you just talk about initially... What prompted you to, to go to your boss, Kate, and just say, hey, I think we should invite uh, Deborah to do something while the summit is coming to the Bay Area? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I saw that the Slow Flower Summit was coming to the Bay Area. Um, I just let Kate know because I'm always, I just think that this cutting garden is a pretty unique um, space that we have here, being that it can be educational there is a little bit of production, but there's room for experimentation. And so I'm always looking for ways to connect it um, and build it up because it's just my passion. Mm. Um, and so when I saw that the Slow Flower Summer was going to be in the Bay, I thought, oh, we, we've got to reach out and, and maybe there's a way we could have some sort of, um, I was honestly thinking about the design takeover from the get-go. Mm. I figured you know, maybe if some designers are going to be in town that normally wouldn't be here, perhaps we could invite them to do some kind of demo design that would be beneficial to our public and also utilize the gardens here and stuff. So that was our, our initial reach out was we thought maybe there was going to be some way to collaborate on a small pre or post conference workshop. So well, we were pretty surprised. Well, that little seed of an idea, Emily has morphed into the entire partnership between slow flowers and Philoli for a yeah. full two days on June 28th and 29th of 2020. And the floral takeover 
is beyond my imagination, just knowing how beautiful the property is. This, this mansion is already sort of set up to receive floral arrangements every week, but mm -hmm. for this one special event, the Slow Flower Summit uh, instructors and attendees are going to have a chance to embellish and flower the whole building, and I'm so excited. Building isn't even the right term. The whole historic mansion. I mean, it's it's going to be beautiful. And yeah, thank, thank you for for the invitation to do that. I think it's going to be really oh, special. Yeah. We're thr I'm thrilled about it. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yay! All right. Well, um, this is just the first of many conversations, Emily. I just I'm okay. so thrilled to kind of introduce the um, the the venue and the program uh, to listeners so they can um, get kind of get jazzed and revved up to come to join us in uh in june of next year and um ticket sales are going uh to be open today december 2nd oh wow for mm -hmm. our uh early bird tickets so we'll have all those details in the show notes at deborahprinzing.com along with photos of um this beautiful cutting garden that emily and i have been discussing so thank you so much for for everything emily i look forward to collaborating with you over the next several months to make this a reality yeah, thank you so much, Deborah. We're, we're really thrilled. Uh, Philola is thrilled that you all are going to be here. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining my conversations with Kara and Emily. You'll have a chance to meet them both when you join me at the Slow Flower Summit. As I mentioned, Emily will be one of our presenters at the summit, joining Kelly Matsushita Seng as moderator and fellow panelist Molly Culver of Molly Oliver Flowers on the Sustainable Farming X Floral Design Panel. We will be surrounded by the natural beauty of the San Francisco Peninsula, enriched by the cultivated formal landscape and prolific cutting gardens at Filoli and inspired by the artistry of our presenters. I can't wait to see you there. Well, I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. And next time you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. If you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Yeah.